T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to another edition of Vet Story from ConnectingVets.com. I'm your host, Eric Dame, and I want to tell you about something very interesting and some would say shocking that's taking place in the veteran community. You see, my main job at ConnectingVets.com is hosting the nationally syndicated radio show CBS Eye on Veterans. Yes, that's a shameless plug for the co-production of Intercom Radio and CBS News Radio airing on radio stations around the country every week. And every week, I'm talking to veterans, vet organizations, politicians, really anyone who's involved in the veteran community. Over the last few years, I've interviewed hundreds of guests. And if you asked me at any point in time which two of those hundreds were least likely to get along or agree on a single subject, the obvious and easy choice would be vote vets and concerned veterans for America. I've had representatives from both organizations on the show several times, and the differences between them are big, and there are a lot of them. Vote Vets, for those who don't know, is a liberal organization. They actively support liberal progressive political candidates and programs. While CVA is, well, the opposite of that, supporting conservative platforms and candidates. For years, CVA's main target was the VA. They believe that veterans are not always getting the best care possible at the VA and that they should be able to go anywhere to get that best possible care. Many organizations and individuals, including vote vets, have said that CVA's goal was not just wanting veterans to get the best possible care, but wanting to dismantle and even eliminate the VA altogether. Because of their differences in opinion, there was radio silence between the two for many years. They didn't even argue or debate face to face. They knew where each other stood. They knew neither was going to budge. So what could possibly be the point of discussing anything? There was no way they were going to agree on an issue right up until they did. And I found myself sitting down with Dan Caldwell, senior advisor and former executive director of CVA, and John Soltz, co-founder and chairman of VoteVets. We had a lengthy discussion on the issue that's brought them together, putting an end to the forever wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, which it turns out both see as directly related to the VA issue. Of course, that discussion had to begin with the obvious question. Would you or could you have ever predicted that we'd be having this conversation? We started with Mr. Caldwell. No, absolutely not. And as I've said before, if you'd have told me four or five years ago that we'd be sitting here and we'd be working together on the same issue, I would have told you you were smoking crack. <laughs> and how about you? If I told you Dan Caldwell would be sitting next to you and you two would be, you know, metaphorically holding hands and skipping through the daisies uh, as you agreed on a topic, would you have believed that? I wouldn't say we're holding hands. <laughs> um, no, I, look, I didn't even want to talk to Dan. Um, that, that was just because I didn't want to have, you know, feel like having a confrontation uh, with somebody who's a veteran, uh, even when I don't agree with veterans. You know, they still earn their right to their opinions. Um, 
they just might be different from mine. And, you know, sort of a, a conversation and a relationship that I avoided just because I didn't think anything positive will come out of it. But I think that's a lesson for everybody. Um, you know, that you can at times still find places to work, you know, work on things with people you don't agree with. Um, in fact, we sent somebody else to, to talk to Dan. <laughs> And they found the common ground, which is Will Fisher, uh, our, our government relations guy. So um, he, he probably deserves more of the credit here than I do. So Will Fisher comes back, says, John, I think I found common ground with so CVA. What did you think? Well, what happened was C-SPAN called and wanted us to do show in the morning where we talk for 30 minutes. And um, I, I would say that Dan's predecessor and I did a lot of arguing about foreign policy on the talk shows consistently for five years. So I, I think we made an assumption, even though concerned veterans hadn't talked about foreign policy, that they would be where, you know, the traditional um, neoconservative thoughts were of intervention and endless war and these types of things. And so when the interview happened between our government relations guy, Will Fisher and Dan, you know, there seemed to be some uh, level of agreement on the war in Yemen, which was essentially an extension of the Iraq war where you had Saudi-backed forces that we were back backing, fighting Iranian-backed forces. And um, it was a, a little bit of a crack in the cement that allowed us to think, you know, if we agree on that, then maybe there's some larger uh, things here that we could potentially agree on. And we had also been a part of a coalition together in Florida last cycle to restore voting rights to people with felonies once they're out of prison. So there were these two little issues that led us to think that potentially there was a larger alliance on uh, some foreign policy initiatives uh, between our two groups. Dan, of course, you are now a senior advisor to Concerned Veterans for America, moving on from that uh, executive director post with Nate Anderson now taking uh, that, that post from you. But it was under your leadership at CVA that you guys kind of started stepping into that foreign policy world. Uh, when you began speaking out on foreign policy and making Concerned Veterans for America's foreign policy ideas known, uh, was there any knowledge that some of the things that you believed lined up so closely with what Vote Vets was going for? Well, Concerned Veterans for America is part, part of the broader Koch network, also known as the Stand Together community now. And that's what I've moved up to do is to help manage our foreign policy efforts across the network. And some of our partners within the Koch network had worked with uh, John and Will on the issue of the Saudi-led war in Yemen that we're supporting. And they had worked with them to ultimately end support for the war. So we were seeing some things um, from some of our partners in the Koch network that showed there was some potential partnership here. And... As we started to look at our whole issue set, particularly reforming the VA, limiting waste, fraud, and abuse within the Department of Defense, we realized that you really can't have a complete conversation about uh, these big issues without talking about our foreign policy. You know, the number of veterans that use the VA, the number of veterans that are service-connected disabled is determined in large part by what we do overseas. And John and I might disagree on some reforms that you know, I think need to happen to the VA that John, you know, might think differently about. But we both recognize and agree that one of the biggest things that impacts the VA is our foreign policy. So we realized that that we couldn't really have that wholesome, complete conversation about the VA and, and our defense department without talking about foreign policy. 
So that's a big reason why we ramped up. And we're fortunate to have support from some of our partners within the Coke Network and the Stand Together community to do this. And they, they were really the ones, too, that when John's talking about seeing cracks in the cement that helped us identify those as well. That's one of the interesting things, knowing a bit about both groups in the past, having talked to CVA, having talked to Vote Vets. There are kind of some common targets for you guys, just disagreements on exactly how to go about it. The VA being one, I think both organizations would agree there need to be some changes made at the VA. It's just kind of how to go about making those changes. That's right. the question, right, John? It's Yeah, I mean, the debate is rearranging the deck chairs in the Titanic, right? It's, it's, it's a question of like, how do you best provide service for veterans? Well, you know, if, if you rewind this thing back to 2003 in the Iraq war, I mean, we were happened to be in Iraq in 2003 on my first tour, you know, we were going to go down to 30,000 troops and be out of there in a year. Um, I don't know, 15 years later, we're still there. Um, we spent trillions of dollars. Uh, we've got thousands of dead U.S. troops. We've got hundreds of thousands of civilians that have been affected and, and tens of thousands of wounded troops. And the question is, how do you best serve that population? Uh, when we talk about support for the troops, we talk about the support to send them over. But what happens when they come home? So you have an entire generation of people that are 50% of which, as Dan just said, are making long-term disability claims with the Department of Veterans Affairs, how do you best service them? Yes, we completely disagree on whether or not consolidated public care is different than private care. We completely disagree with that. But essentially, you're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic because the truth is you have a demand on the system that's greater than what the system can provide. And the sole reason for that is these extended, protracted wars. This is the first time in the history of the United States that we've taken a volunteer military and put it in a protracted war with no end state without conscription. And I think that's a question that um, the policymakers have to look at. I think when you look at the history of this war, uh, in 50 years when you run a special on PBS, the question won't be, did you go? It'll be how many times did you go? And why did so few people in the population serve? And the stress on that group is extensive and that's what's causing the issues on the VA. And we can argue on how to take care of them, but the truth is it's the wars and the long-term deployments and the multiple deployments and the fact that there's no end here that's creating the demand on the system that's basically surged to a point that it, it it's having a hard time keeping up. Dan, have you kind of seen the light go on when it comes to that as addressing these forever wars, as people have been calling them, as a means of addressing the issues as the VA that some people maybe weren't making that connection, but then the partnership between you and Vote Vets has kind of shown a light well, on it. Well, it is definitely one one issue that is is driven additional strain at the VA. I think that if you go back and you look at the history of the Department of Veterans Affairs, putting aside you know any disagreement we ha we might have on particular reforms, is that you see a history of you know despite oftentimes substantial investment in the agency, they're always one or two or sometimes three steps behind the needs of the veteran population. So really, the VA only now is catching up to the needs of the Vietnam era veterans. You know, one of the big reasons why we saw this backlog in 2009 and 2010 wasn't necessarily just because of the Iraq and Afghanistan vets, but because they had to re go back and relitigate um, claims dealing with Agent Orange from Vietnam era vets, and you had more Vietnam era vets putting in claims. So you combine that with additional vets from Iraq and Afghanistan coming back, and you created this this system that led to a breakdown specifically in 2000, you know, from 2010 to 2014. And historically, that's been an issue. You go back to World War II, it, the VA has been kind of locked in what we call this cycle of reform and failure, is you'll have a major scandal, you'll have a set of reforms, they'll work for a while, VA will be doing great. In some cases, even I have to admit, better than the private sector. 
those reforms will slowly be either undermined or fall apart or the VA won't won't keep up and and you get to a place where we've been before. Now, I'm optimistic about the future. You know, on um, June 6th, you'll have this big rollout of this um, pro- program, the new community care program. And hopefully over the next several weeks, we'll see if that works or not. Hopefully it does for the sake of our veterans. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll be seeing if ultimately the VA is going to go in a new direction. But what you've seen around these cycles of reform and failure, though, are these conflicts that add unexpected strain to the VA, and they haven't been prepared for that. So again, like I said earlier, you can't have this conversation about what we spend on veterans, how we reform the VA, without having a broader conversation about our foreign policy. Of course, uh, June 6th being the 75th anniversary of D-Day, hopefully this is the D-Day for the VA where things start really turning around. But as Dan and, and you, John, are pointing you out there. want to see us disagree, now's our chance. <laughs> <laughs> um, as Dan and you both point out, John, the, the numbers are what have put the stress on the VA system. And right. when you have 18 years, essentially, of conflict, we had a good 30-year gap almost, between the end of Vietnam and this next major conflict, this uh, Iraqi and Afghanistan uh, wars that came after that, where you had minor, uh, I don't want to call them minor, but you had smaller military, uh, um, what am I trying to call them, military conflicts, First Gulf War, Grenada, things like that. The only large-scale deployment for combat in that time frame technically would have been the Gulf War. And Um, that was much smaller when you take There's a lot of smaller situations, Panama, Grenada, Bosnia, Kosovo, Somalia, um, they just, the, the numbers of troops involved um, weren't to a point that would have maybe affected the VA in the long term, perhaps. Right. Um, you know, no, I was a part of Kosovo, you know, and, and I, th- I think there was a concept coming in when I came into the army in 1999, there was a governor from Texas who was running for president saying that he was against nation building and he was against... Um, U.S. troops being deployed all over the world to be the world's policeman, and that you know two of our ten army divisions at the time were not fit for combat, and that was a travesty. And then he you know backdoors us into Iraq with you know five division commitment out of ten. So uh, it, it was certainly an interesting time where you had a, a, a the presidential race in two thousand really highlight some of these issues about intervention. And then post nine eleven, President Bush became probably the greatest interventionist president that we've seen in in, in our history. Um, I, I'm not quite even sure it's precedented as to the, the way that he, you know, liberally used uh, military manpower um, to create a perception of repercussions for 9-11 that were, were and were not accurate to the American public. When we talk about those disagreements that you have, particularly, as you just mentioned, with uh, the VA, and you've got some changes being rolled out this week that I don't think your two organizations see eye to eye on, um, do you think it shows something that the two of you are still able to sit here, despite having such major disagreements on some things, to be able to come out in favor of this foreign policy of kind of ending these forever wars, Dan? Well, you know, our our motto as an organization and the larger motto, one of the mottos for our network is unite with anybody to do right and no one to do harm. And that's, you know, kind of the play on the Frederick Douglass quote. And we believe if we have shared goals and shared values with with people, that we should come together and work towards those shared goals and that other disagreements, we can continue to uh, have respectful battles over and we'll continue to do so. But it would be a real shame if, if we let those disagreements on issues like the VA 
um, prevent us from joining together on what is a very large issue, and, and I would say one of the most important issues for our country, and that's getting us towards a better foreign policy. At the end of the day, this is the key issue, is that these forever wars, these endless wars, aren't making us safer. You know, John has talked about Iraq. I think that Iraq is probably the worst foreign policy decision that we've ever made as a nation. And and the, the repercussions that it's had over the last nearly two decades now have led to an increase in the power of Iran. It's led to an increase in the power of of Sunni jihadi radical groups. Um, you have the Syrian civil war that that is connected to the uh, invasion of Iraq. You have the increase in Islamic radicalism from you know North Africa all the way out to Pakistan and India that is tied in many ways to the war in Iraq. And it has been a disaster. And it did at the end of the day did not make us safer. Afghanistan, the initial invasion was justified. We had to go in there and hold al-Qaeda accountable for what they did after 9-11. I want to be clear on that. But after two, three years, the mission morphed into nation building, what John said, and our outcome became less and less clear. And we kept putting resources into that country and into that fight without a clear end state that could have been used to deter real terrorist threats in other parts of the world or ultimately deter great powers like Russia and China. So that's kind of the key thing. We aren't here in advocating for this because we're peaceniks or pacifists. At the end of the day, there are cases where we have to use force, like after 9-11. But these, this, these forever wars, I don't think anybody can, can look us straight in the eye and say that they've really made us safer because I, I don't think they have. Let's talk about some of the people ha- that have looked the two of you straight in the eye, that being the policymakers, lawmakers on Capitol Hill. What's been the reaction to the partnership between Vote Vets and CVA, John? Have people been shocked? Yes. And and we're look, we want to disagree on the VA. Okay. A, we don't agree with it, right? We, you know, we feel that consolidated care allows the VA to understand some of these clusters and trends and it gives us the ability to audit veterans' care. We we're gonna disagree on how to take care of veterans. That gives us the credibility to agree on Maybe we should stop making them um, because that's surging the system. So I, I think I think that this is a unique situation. Um, what Like we saw in Yemen, you have a right and left alliance. People that are in safe seats, conservatives in safe seats, liberals in safe seats, are willing to unite around this issue to end these wars. And the problem, much like on Yemen, is going to be people in the center uh, who are hiding from really what their constituents want because they're, you know, a lot politicians care about one thing. That, this is not a Democrat or Republican problem. This is a political problem. Politicians want to get reelected. Mm. Politicians want to keep their job in Congress. So the, the biggest challenge for us is going to be people in the, in the center. Not, not because they have an idea, but because they're afraid to make a decision that could potentially affect their ability to get reelected. Now, our argument on that is, look, this is a bipartisan issue. You're working with both sides. Both sides are on the right page here. And they're going to get squeezed in the end because... When you have progressive support and conservative support, then you have committee support because the committee chairs are people that have been in this town a long time. So I, I think that there's a huge amount of interest. I think that people are surprised because I even had a chief of staff come up to me last week. I was like, I cannot believe that you guys came into our office with concerned veterans. You're giving them legitimacy to destroy the VA. And I'm like, that's so interesting that you're saying that to me. Not No names here because you have not endorsed the Lee bill. You're hiding from this. So um, I, w- I, was just, I haven't had a chance to actually tell Dan that story. I want to tell him offline. But I was shocked by it because it, it, it's catching people, obviously, by surprise. Um, and we're going to continue to squeeze the center. There's no question. That's kind of become this, this 
talking point for people, this platforming. You're giving a platform to CVA, and I'm sure there are CVA supporters saying, you're giving a platform to vote vets. That's kind of what conversations are about. You're you're talking to each other. Again, you disagree on things. This doesn't mean that John is now joining Team Concerned Vets. Doesn't mean that, Dan, you're going to be signing up for Vote Vets newsletter anytime soon, right? Well, I, I would actually recommend you do sign up for Vote Vets newsletter. <laughs> right. And, and vice, vice just... versa. Um, uh, you actually can, you know, I disagree with most of what they send out, but it's good to know what, what John and his team are thinking. But... Um, I, I I think that that outside of the Beltway, outside of Washington D.C., m- the overwhelming opinion of our grassroots supporters has been positive. Um, we we have you know anytime we do anything, even if it's on the VA, where you know most of our our activists have joined us because of that issue, you're going to get people disagreeing with with things you're doing, and uh, the support's been been very positive. Um, here in D.C., we've had some people that are, are 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 happy to see it. You know, we've gotten some bipartisan uh, support. You know, even people like Bernie Sanders that's attacked CVA from the presidential debate stage tweeted out support of this partnership. So we've seen some good support. But but behind the scenes, you know, there there are inevitably people here in this town that benefit from the status quo around foreign policy that don't like what we're doing. And you know, we've heard some grumbling. Um, it's been, you know, through back channels and things like that because people don't want to come and say it to our face because at the end of the day, they know that the majority of American people agree with us on foreign policy is that th- this isn't 2001 or 2002 anymore. The American people um, are not um, supportive of continuing these forever wars. And we've seen that in our polling, um, polling that some of our, our partner organizations have done there's broad support to move to a new direction with foreign policy. And whether you agree with him completely or not on this issue, you saw that with the election of President Trump. And again, he's not perfect on foreign policy, but he ran challenging the foreign policy status quo. And he went to places like South Carolina, where the assumption was you have to embrace an aggressive foreign policy and said the Iraq war was a bad idea. President Bush did the wrong thing. And he won that state in a primary and he won that state in the general election. So those are, are, are huge signs that, that outside of this bubble here in Washington, D.C., that there is broad support for what we're doing and people are happy to see it. John, what do you say to someone who says, like, you know, you're you're a traitor, essentially, for talking with these guys, for agreeing with them on anything? It, it seems a silly thing to have to even address, but I am sure there are people out there who are not happy that you've partnered up with CVA on anything. You know... I've only had the conversation the one time with the one Hill chief mm-hmm. and I obviously pushed back because I, you know, I'm like, look, the, the bottom line on the VA stuff is from a practical standpoint right now, mission X passed. It's happening. I mean, like the, the truth is we beat CVA in a lot of political races. You know, we both spent millions of dollars against each other last cycle in Wisconsin. Uh, we defended Tammy ball when they attacked her. Tammy's still in the U S Senate. Um, the cycle before they attacked Russ Feingold, we didn't do anything. Russ Feingold lost. So we've traded a lot of blows on political races. Policy-wise, CVA was successful in what they were doing with Mission X, and we were unable to stop it. So the, the debate over the VA right now, there's not a lot that Democrats can do to peel back some of the, quote, privatizations, they would say choice efforts that have been enacted or are going to be enacted. 
So th there's not a real debate moving around that anymore. The, 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 the big thing with the new Congress or Democrats have the gavel where there's right left ability to, to find coalition is on this issue. So my first defense to it is the VA, like, where were you last cycle? Like, where were you guys when we were fighting on the VA? Um, and, and most of them, it's actually some of them, in fact, signed on to what Dan wanted to do. So I, I you know, I, I kind of look at that. It hasn't happened a lot. Um, I think most people are, are ready to move forward on this. And I think most people understand the power of, of, of what we've done. Um, but it's, it's a naive statement to say we're giving them credibility on the VA because they already had it. And I, I think the larger narrative, you know, in, in question out there is, you know, while people go out and vote vets and CVA, it's like, you know, where are the larger VSOs? I mean, the larger VSOs are created in this country by being political on issue-based things like the bonus army and the depression. And, you know, they're largely unable to take core positions on large legislative issues that matter. Um, and that's given concerned veterans and vote vets an ability to organize around issues that bring people to us. So the reason there's 700,000 people on the votevets.org newsletter is because People want to know what's going on in politics today. Um, and it's not just about the White House Christmas party or the Easter egg roll that veterans are interested in. The real reason Tammy Baldwin was elected, of course, is that she appeared right here on Eye on Veterans. That was what pushed her over the edge there. <laughs> I, I would agree with that, probably. <laughs> I, 